Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, you welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Joe McCormick. So, a few weeks back on the show, we did a series of episodes on the Pacific Gray Whale. That series was based on some actual travels that uh, that you and your family did, Rob, uh, with uh, where you got to encounter these uh, wonderful beasts up close. But uh, ever since then, I've had a bit of a, a low-grade whale fever. And so based on maybe not physical travels in the world, but uh, literary travels of the mind, I've been drawn back to the subject of whales. Uh, today, we are returning to talk not about a particular species of whale, but about a particular anatomical feature common to whales, the respiratory orifice of the cetacean, known as the spout or the spiracle, or most commonly today, the blowhole. That's right. One of the most famous features of the whale. If you know nothing else about the whale, if, you're, if your knowledge of whale anatomy is limited to cartoons and emojis, you you know something of the spout. You may have um, the, the wrong idea of what it's all about. And we'll get into that in this episode, but you know that whales do this. Right. The saying is not thar she filter feeds. The saying mm -hmm. is thar she blows. Right. Now, I actually became interested in this subject because I was reading a chapter in the great American whale novel, Moby Dick by Herman Melville. Uh, basic plot summary, a, uh, a wandering young man named Ishmael and his uh, new companion Queequeg enlist on a whale ship uh, captained by a man named Ahab, who is on a revenge quest against a sperm whale that, uh, that previously removed his leg. A classic tale. Even if you're not familiar with the, uh, with the book itself, you've probably seen one of the many film adaptations over the years. 
Yes, though, you know, if you just watch a movie, uh, there is a quality to the text of Moby Dick that probably won't quite come across because this is not a strictly plot oriented story. It's not a novel where the action of the plot always just kind of proceeds ahead at a predictable pace. Many chapters of this book are more like self-contained informational or meditational essays on subjects of all kinds. So there are little, uh, there are chapters that are essays about the tackle and equipment of whaling vessels, the monkey rope, the harpoon, the, you know, all, all the different things. There are chapters about the accuracy or relative lack thereof uh, of whale illustrations in books. There's a chapter about clam chowder. There are chapters <laughs> about whale heads. There's one chapter where he does phrenology on a whale head. There are chapters about whale skin, whale tails, etc. Uh, now, when it comes to the, the quote, cetology of Moby Dick, uh, it seems to me Melville is all over the place, sourcing his information in some cases from published works of naturalists of his day, which was, of course, of, um, you know, we would judge by the scientific standards of today of mixed quality to begin with. And in other cases, he seems to be relying on kind of the trade knowledge of sailors and whalemen. Mm-hmm. Some of his biological observations, I think, seem fairly keen and others are bizarre or downright implausible. A very commonly uh, cited example, though I don't know if this represents the personal belief of Melville, of the author, the narrator Ishmael is firmly committed to the claim that whales are fish. Uh, (laughs) They are not. They are mammals. In fact, uh, I was uh, reading about this in a paper called Herman Melville, Marine Biologist by Harold Morowitz, published in the Biological Bulletin in 2011. Uh, About the idea that whales are mammals, Morowitz writes, quote, this was not a new finding. Aristotle in History of Animals some 2200 years earlier, oh, actually, he's saying earlier than uh, than Linnaeus, uh, had noticed uh, the difference between members of the whales and porpoises and other marine inhabitants, the fish. Uh, He based this distinction on the cetaceans having the mammalian properties of being warm-blooded, breathing air through lungs, and feeding the young through mammary glands. Melville, though uh, through his spokesman Ishmael, strongly disagreed and was willing to place the anecdotal knowledge of a seaman against the formal knowledge of academics. He insists that a whale is, quote, a spouting fish with a horizontal tail. Well, I guess this kind of falls under the whole um, seaman versus landsman sort of thing, right? Like, what would Aristotle oh, yeah. know? He never he never served on a whaling vessel. That's right. This kind of came up in our Grey Whale series, too. What, what was the context? Oh, was it uh, arguments about how aggressive, actually, the Grey Whale is? Yeah, if you, you go by the uh, the accounts of whalers who did get to, uh, you know, throw in their, 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 their two cents and name various things about whales as well. Uh, yeah, according to them, the gray whale is just an absolute monster, uh, you know, that, that will just absolutely destroy anything in its path, um, which it's certainly capable of, as we discuss, if, uh, if it has been uh, provoked. Uh, but if it's not provoked, it is a very peaceful and curious creature. Right. So anyway, the the narrator Ishmael's claims about whales, while in my opinion, always fascinating, are a mixed bag of some sharp observations, uh, some weird untruths, as well as ambiguous claims somewhere in the middle. Uh, And I came across a number of all of the above recently in chapter 85 of this book, which is called The Fountain. This chapter is a consideration of the blowhole of the whale and the towering exhalations from it. 
which, by the way, are of great significance to whalers because the uh, the spoutings of the blowhole are what whalers use to to sight the whales out on the open sea and track them down. Yeah, thus the var she blows. Right. So, uh, I, I love that this chapter is called The Fountain because, as we'll discuss, like even the title of this chapter is deceptive. Right. Uh, so, Rob, if you don't mind, I'm going to I'm going to set the, the themes here by reading the first couple of paragraphs of this chapter. Excellent. Yeah, are you going to use the uh, the sailor voice from the I'm not, on this? <laughs> I'm not going to do pirate voice. Okay. I'm not strong enough. Uh, okay, so this is from Moby Dick by Herman Melville, the chapter The Fountain. That for 6,000 years, and no one knows how many millions of ages before, the great whales should have been spouting all over the sea and sprinkling and mystifying the gardens of the deep, as with so many sprinkling or mystifying pots, and that for some centuries back, thousands of hunters should have been close by the fountain of the whale, watching these sprinklings and spoutings, that all this should be, and yet that down to this blessed minute— Fifteen and a quarter minutes past one o'clock p.m. on this 16th day of December, A.D. 1851, it should still remain a problem whether these spoutings are, after all, really water or nothing but vapor. This is surely a noteworthy thing. And then skipping a bit into the next paragraph... Everyone knows that by the peculiar cunning of their gills, the finny tribes in general breathe the air which at all times is combined with the element in which they swim. Hence, a herring or a cod might live a century and never once raise its head above the surface. But... Owing to his marked internal structure, which gives him regular lungs like a human being's, the whale can only live by inhaling the disengaged air in the open atmosphere, wherefore the necessity for his periodical visits to the upper world. But he cannot in any degree breathe through his mouth, for, in his ordinary attitude, the sperm whale's mouth is buried at least eight feet beneath the surface. And what is still more, his windpipe has no connection with his mouth. No, he breathes through his spiracle alone, and this is on the top of his head. Now, so far, so good. I mean, nothing too out of whack and all that, I think. Oh, sure. And I, I think this does help give you a sense of some of the the wide-eyed admiration and the and the power of the mystery in describing whales at this time when like documentary footage was not a thing that existed mm-hmm. yet you know people couldn't like see planet earth and see what whales looked like so you know most people probably never would have seen any whale in person even if you had you probably would have only seen them you know, breaching the surface occasionally or spouting from below, like you wouldn't have the kind of familiarity with whales that even the average person has today just through being able to see them in movies and documentaries. Right. And uh, and of course, uh, depending on when you're trying, you're looking out to the ocean and potentially seeing a whale that your ability to see them might be greatly reduced by human whaling enterprise. Uh, which, uh, you know, certainly uh, initially greatly reduced the number of of whales that would have been close to shore and then eventually got into those populations that were further from shore. Yeah. Uh, Now, so this chapter on the fountain, on one hand, it simply made me want to investigate the blowhole and whale respiration as a subject in itself, which we will do. But this chapter also raises a number of controversies and strange claims that I wanted to further investigate. One of the controversies uh, that Melville opens the chapter by acknowledging uh, is the question of what is the spout or what is it that comes out of the spout? I guess it depends on 
what you're using the word spout to refer to there. Um, but yeah, what is coming out of the blowhole? Is it water or is it, as uh, Ishmael says, quote, nothing but vapor? That's a question that did seem to be a live one to some degree in Melville's day. But also, as far as strange claims go, here's one for you I want to read from later in the chapter. Are you ready, Rob? Yes, let's have it. Okay, so he says, quote, Nor is it at all prudent for the hunter to be over-curious, touching the precise nature of the whale spout. It will not do for him to be peering into it and putting his face in it. You cannot go with your pitcher to this fountain and fill it and bring it away. For even when coming into slight contact with the outer vapory shreds of the jet— which will often happen, your skin will feverishly smart from the acridness of the thing so touching it. And I know one who, coming into still closer contact with the spout, whether with some scientific object in view or otherwise, I cannot say, the skin peeled off from his cheek and arm. Wherefore, among whalemen, the spout is deemed poisonous. They try to evade it. Another thing I have heard it said, and I do not much doubt it, that if the jet is fairly spouted into your eyes, it will blind you. The wisest thing the investigator can do then, it seems to me, is to let this deadly spout alone. Okay, so I read that and I was like, what is going on here? That This sounds wrong to me, but I wonder if it, there's some kind of basis to it or some way this rumor could have gotten started that would be identifiable. Uh, I don't know. So so that's another thing I want to explore. The, the allegedly deadly, poisonous, blinding spout steals your power of sight, melts away your flesh like xenomorph blood. This is, this is something else. Uh, <laughs> this goes beyond discussions of water versus mist, um, because this is just not true. Um, uh, I, you know, we mentioned my, my time uh, with my family down in Mexico getting to observe the, the gray whales. So when we were out there, there would often be multiple gray whales around the boat, constantly you know, breathing close to the surface. And, and I, I should point out these were casual breaths. These were not breaths. Uh, that uh, were occurring after deep uh, dive or anything like that. But still, pretty explosive uh, um, exhalations, uh, a lot of mist floating around in the air. I definitely got whale uh, spout on me from these mists. And I saw on more than one occasion somebody take a, um, a rather a stiff blast of the whale spout directly in the face. Now, I don't recall if they had you know, sunglasses on or what, but it was it was alarming. It was, but it was wasn't anything that caused undue grief or stress. It was one of those things you kind of laugh about afterwards. You, you know, wash off your face. And uh, some of the, the, the my fellow whale watchers, they really took it as kind of a point of pride. You know, they're like it's it, they referred to it as a kind of baptism. You know, uh, you're just yeah, you wanted to get close to these creatures. It doesn't get a lot closer than that. But what about your skin? Did it peel off or do you still have your skin on? I still have all, I mean, all my skin was intact following each of these episodes out, out on the water. People who were blasted full on in the face also were fine. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that comes to mind is I guess it seems possible that someone could have an, some sort of an allergic reaction hmm. um, to something in the whale spout. But um, I, I've never heard of this actually occurring. Yeah, it seems to be based on everything I've read that you're right. I, I could not find any evidence that what comes out of a whale's blowhole is actually poisonous or acrid to the point that it will uh, will burn your skin away. But uh, we can still come back to this and, I don't know, maybe at least try to investigate 
anything we can figure out about the claim itself, despite the fact that it seems obviously not true. Right. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Let's get into the, the basic science of whale spout or whale blow. Um, what is whale blow? Well, as discussed by Mark Carwadine in the Handbook of Whales, Dolphins, and Porpoises, uh, an excellent book that I referred to uh, several times in our, our previous series on the gray whale, um, Whale blow or whale spout refers to both the whale's act of breathing, explosive exhalation, followed by immediate inhalation, 
And uh, also it refers to the visible misty cloud that hangs in the air afterwards. Quote, condensed water, a fine spray of mucus from inside the lungs, and seawater trapped in the blowholes. And I think this is one of the main reasons that I, I did take a little extra care to avoid um, staring down over the side of the boat at a blowhole because I did not want to be sneezed full on in the face um, by one of these uh, these leviathans. Uh, but I was not, you know, deathly afraid of it and fearful of my my sight. Well, sure, and you might want to avoid that not just because of the forcefulness of the blow. But for another, I mean, one of the same reasons you wouldn't want a human to sneeze in your face, which is that like uh, when somebody sneezes, that mucus might contain significant loading of bacteria. And yeah, you, know, you don't know what that's going to be. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I, I avoided it, but I also didn't feel bad about I certainly got plenty of the mist on me because if you have multiple gray whales in your vicinity, you're just in a cloud of this stuff. So it's unavoidable. Yeah. So, uh, you know, breaking it down to brass tacks here, the, the obvious whales, of course, as we've stated, aquatic mammals, they have to come to the surface to breathe, but hold their breath while underwater. And according to Hammond et al. in the book Whales, Their Biology and Behavior, whales consciously control their breathing, unlike most mammals who are reflex breathers like us. They breathe through their blowholes, which are um, sometimes called the, their nares, which are essentially evolved nostrils, which can be muscularly opened and closed. And as the authors point out, quote, the air pressure in the nasal passage is higher than the ambient pressure at the surface, leading to the explosive release of air from the blowhole. The exhaled air from the whale's inside is warmer than the surrounding air and carries moisture, which condenses into the visible blow that so often is the first telltale sign of a whale. Now, as we've discussed in the show before, baleen whales have two holes, while toothed whales have only one. Baleen whales also have a raised blowhole with a frontal splash guard. Uh, it's the explosive exhalation and quick inhalation takes a mere second in the smaller whales and just a few seconds in the giant. So there's a real economy of breathing in all of this. Uh, you know, you, you come up to the surface and contrary to a lot of the illustrations of whales, their whole head does not come up. I mean, they can do uh, uh, some of this, but it's not necessary for breathing. All they have to do is just get the top of their head, that little uh, um, blowhole above the water, to pull this off in a matter of seconds. And according to the National Marine Life Center, just one exhalation pretty much empties a whale's entire lungs. One of our exhalations only empties part of our lungs. Now, this is an interesting fact that I thought was worth looking at a little bit deeper, this thing about whale lungs and uh, and capacity and the extent to which that capacity is used. So I started thinking about the comparison to uh, underwater breath holding in humans. Most people who have no special training can comfortably hold their breath underwater for about a minute. Uh, I've seen estimates ranging from like one to two minutes to 30 to 90 seconds. I don't know if that depends on like how old the population you're looking at is or, you know, how physically fit they are. But still, you know, the, the average person is not going to be able to stay under that long. It's may, maybe a couple minutes. Now, with conditioning, humans can stay underwater a lot longer. I was actually I was trying to find the current human record for underwater breath holding. And according to Guinness World Records, the, the record holder is a Croatian man named Budimir Shobat, who on March 27th, 2021, stayed underwater for 24 minutes and 37 seconds. And at first I was like, 
wait a second, that just cannot be correct. That is too long. That is more than two full playthroughs of the album-length version, not the single version, of I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. Can't imagine it. (laughs) And to some degree, my, uh, my instincts were confirmed because I realized there's a big caveat here. Showbot's record and uh, and many other people who compete for this particular record, this was for a special category of uh, breath holding, oxygen assisted voluntary breath holding. So in this category, before you go under the water, uh, you can spend up to 30 minutes ventilating with 100 percent pure oxygen from a tank. So this is a, a pre dive hyperventilation process to like super oxygenate your body. Uh, of course, 100% pure oxygen is much higher than the the content in the air we normally breathe at 21% mm-hmm. oxygen. Uh, so, yeah, the people who do this, they are super oxygenating their body before they start. Uh, and also, of course, this guy was highly trained. He spent more than three years training six days a week. So 24 and a half minutes is the record for this technology-assisted hyperventilation category. But I was trying to find the the not-technology-assisted version, and I uh, found a 2023 article by a University of Windsor kinesiologist named Anthony Bain, and he writes that the the record for breath-holding, if you don't pregame with pure oxygen, is less than half that. It is uh, possibly 11 minutes and 35 seconds for men, which is a record held by Stefan Mifsud, though there's some dispute about this one because there's also a guy named Bronko Petrovich who holds a record accredited by Guinness, but not by this other organization, a governing body called the International Association for the Development of Apnea, which apparently does some kind of uh, certification of these records. And I don't want to get drawn into a knife fight about which record is legitimate, but um, that let's just say the unassisted record for men is somewhere between the 11 to 12 minute range. And the record for women is nine minutes and two seconds held by uh, Natalia Molkanova. Yeah, we don't want to make any enemies of people who can hold their breath this long. That does sound dangerous. Just as a side note, speaking of people who can hold their breath a shockingly long time, uh, this article also mentioned something I hadn't heard of at all. Apparently in preparation for the filming of Avatar 2, The Way of Water, the actress Kate Winslet trained in underwater breath holding for several weeks, and on set, she was able to stay underwater for more than seven minutes, something that I am sure, uh, no matter how much I trained, I could not do. She did this on camera, too, and you can watch a video of it. When she pops up at the end, she asks, am I dead? So hats (laughs) off to Kate. Wow. By the way, did you see Way of Water? I haven't seen it yet. I did. Uh, Yeah, my family and I, it was during the holidays, and it was super cold one morning. We got up and went and saw a morning uh, showing of Avatar 2, uh, complete with coffee and uh, multiple bathroom breaks because it's super long. But yeah, it's <laughs> fun. It's got space whales in it. So um, that's kind of neat. You know, there are some whales that can stay underwater without breathing longer than we can go in a movie without a bathroom break. <laughs> At least sure. when there's coffee involved. Yes. <laughs> uh, but while that is individual records, there are also there are whole cultures of people who um, regularly do extended underwater free diving and stand for a long period of time. I was looking at one study uh, quickly just to mention by uh, Ilardo et al. published in the journal Cell in 2018 called Physiological and Genetic Adaptations to Diving in Sea Nomads. And this study 
was examining uh, adaptations in the Sama people, also known as the uh, uh, the Bajau, a nomadic sea-living people of Southeast Asia who are well-known for their amazing free-diving skills. Uh, in, in some cases, they spend several hours a day underwater, not continuously, but they, they will stay under continuously for minutes at a time while free-diving to to retrieve things from from below and this is part of been part of their culture for thousands of years and so this study did some genomic and anatomical uh, analysis of these people to see well you know is the, the uh, free diving skill is common in their culture do they typically have any differences that assist in that and the study did find quote using a comparative genomic study we showed that natural selection on genetic variants in the PDE10A gene have increased spleen size in the Bajau, providing them with a larger reservoir of oxygenated red blood cells. We also find evidence of strong selection specific to the Bajau on BDKRB2, a gene affecting the human diving reflex. And so they say that uh, people living in this culture have uh, developed uh, specific adaptations for hypoxia tolerance, for being better at going longer with uh, holding, holding the breath underwater. But anyway, to come back to the sort of untrained natural human range of people who don't practice diving commonly, you know, it's maybe like one to two minutes on average, more like nine to 12 minutes at the extreme. Some whale species, on the other hand, have in extreme cases, as we said, been uh, been observed to stay under the surface for hours. And mm -hmm. uh, while that might not be normal, it's normal for whales to stay under for longer than the unassisted record for humans. It's commonly cited that sperm whales can stay under for 90 minutes while hunting. So the question is, how do they do this? You might naturally assume the answer is that the whales have bigger lungs. They can take a deeper breath, hold in more air because they've got bigger lungs. But actually, that's not the case. The strange thing is, relative to body size, whales have significantly smaller lungs than humans. Human lungs are roughly 7% of body size on average, but whale lungs can be less than half that at about 3% of body size. That's fascinating. That's a great point. Yeah. So how does that work? You stay under for like movie length times uh, while having lungs that are relatively smaller than ours. Mm -hmm. So um, I was reading about this in a book called The Encyclopedia of Marine Mammals, uh, edited by uh, Bernd and Perron by, uh, from Academic Press 2009. And there was a chapter on breathing in marine mammals by the marine biologist Douglas Wartsock. And here's where we come back to what you said, Rob, about the uh, the relative difference in how much the lung can empty. Uh, this concerns a, a biological metric known as the tidal volume. Tidal volume is the amount of air that is inhaled and exhaled during normal respiration. Uh, it turns out most animals do not completely empty and refill their lungs with each breath. Instead, they're always exchanging some fractional percentage of the gas in their lungs for fresh air from the outside. What percentage of the total lung capacity is exchanged with each breath varies by species, and I guess probably also uh, would vary with individual animals too, but there, there are certainly species dif differences, and there are trends with groups of animals. According to Wartsock, the tidal volume is a bigger percentage of the animal's total lung capacity when you're you're looking at marine mammals than when you're looking at terrestrial mammals. So uh, you look at an average 
terrestrial mammal, horses, humans, whatever, tidal volume is going to be something like 10 to 15% of total lung capacity. Meanwhile, for marine mammals, and this would include not just whales, but uh, other marine mammals, pinnipeds and so forth, uh, average tidal volume is much higher, usually more than 75% of total lung capacity. So many multiples beyond the depth of gas exchange that we accomplish when we breathe. Uh, For sea mammals like whales, breathing in and out is just a more dramatic activity. They're they're emptying and refilling to a uh, a near total extent. And that's just for normal respiration. Uh, For what Wurzak calls vital capacity, essentially the maximum tidal volume you're capable of when you're like really breathing in and out as deeply as you can, that rarely exceeds 75% of lung capacity in land-based mammals, but uh, marine mammals can go higher than 90%. So even though, again, whales might have smaller lungs relative to body size, they can like almost totally collapse that lung to exhale and then reinflate the lung totally. It's a like huge exchange of gas. And the question would be, what makes that difference? Why uh, would marine mammals have the ability to to sort of crush out their lungs like that? Well, Mm -hmm. we can't really do the same thing. Uh, Wartok says, quote, marine mammal lungs contain more elastic tissue than those of terrestrial mammals. The ribs contain more cartilage and are thus more compliant than those of terrestrial mammals. The lung is also more compliant. Marine mammal lungs can collapse and reinflate repeatedly, whereas in terrestrial mammals, lung collapse is a serious situation that requires intervention to reinflate. Although both terrestrial mammals and marine mammals inspire actively and expire passively, so there's active uh, uh, working of a muscle to breathe in and then relaxing of the muscle to breathe out, uh, uh, quote, the features noted earlier allow much greater elastic recoil of the lungs, chest cavity, and diaphragm, and thus a greater tidal volume in proportion to total lung capacity. So he's almost painting a picture of whale lungs as this kind of, I don't know, like uh, like super elastic uh, balloon or something that just kind of like springs back and forth. And um, I know this isn't biologically accurate, but to my mind, I, I was thinking about with this like, you know, naturally collapsing lung that's just part of the breathing process. It's almost in my brain like a whoopee cushion being sat on every time the whale breathes out. Yeah, I mean, all of this, I think it's, it brings up something that is at once obvious about the whale and, and also, you know, a lot more uh, sublime in many ways as well. And that is, of course, that when you look back at what whales may have looked like, what their bodies may have been like when they were land-based organisms or their, their ancestors were, and you look at their forms now, it's like they have changed so much. They have evolved so much to become these masters of the of the ocean, um, and there, there are all these various features like this where it's just a, it's just absolutely alarming when you look closer. Even though I mean, very obviously, uh, this is the nature of the whale when you just look at even just a basic sketch of their anatomy. Yes, absolutely. I mean, this once eons ago quadrupedal mammal that uh, that that it lived an ever increasing amount of its life in the water and eventually became a fully marine organism. And now one of its adaptations is that its lungs almost completely collapse when it breathes out and create this forceful burst of, of exhalation. 
that is in the end what we see when the whale uh, when the whale spouts or when the blowhole opens, and it can be incredibly powerful when the lung collapses. Wartsock writes, quote, in gray whale uh, calves, the duration of expiration and inhalation is uh, closer to half a second, but the tidal volume can be as great as 62 liters, and the maximum flow rate is as great as 202 liters per second. Uh, gas flows through the external nares at speeds of 44 meters per second during inspiration and 200 meters per second during expiration. And that also... he. he emphasizes how efficient the breathing process is, saying that like the breathing out usually begins before the whale actually even breaks the surface of the water. So it's like they're coming up to to break the surface, and then uh, before they reach the surface, the exhale starts, so it blasts, and then that might mm-hmm. create some of the water you actually see. Though Another part of what appears to be water coming out of the blowhole is the condensing of the uh, of the vapor from the lungs. But then it's over the surface for just a little bit of time. It uses that time while it's out to breathe in suddenly, and then it goes back under. Yeah, in uh, in, in my experiences out there with the, with the gray whales too, the um, yeah, it's it, depending on when they're releasing their exhalation. Uh, if they're releasing it when the blowhole is above or mostly above the surface of the water. Uh, that creates one type of spout. But if they release it underneath the water by even, say, you know, a few inches or, or more, uh, you're going to have even more water coming up. It's going to be even more of, a, of, a, of, a, of what feels like a fountain uh, to the face or to the side of the boat. Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then, through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There's still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI, and Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI in revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, 
personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Now, one last thing I wanted to mention about why whales can stay under so long. Actually, uh, First came across this and just interesting informational video by a, a marine ecologist at the University of New South Wales named uh, Professor Tracy Rogers, and uh, this was pointing out, in addition to stuff about the the lungs, the capacity of cetaceans to just store more oxygen in their body tissues. So beyond what gas the lungs are capable of holding, the storage of oxygen in the hemoglobin and red blood cells, uh, you know, both humans and whales, marine mammals and terrestrial mammals store oxygen in the hemoglobin. Uh, but whales have much more hemoglobin in their blood, uh, which is one reason that their blood might appear darker red than the blood of terrestrial mammals. I don't know if you've ever seen whale blood, but I feel like I have noticed this before that it comes out so dark red, it almost looks uh, kind of like black or purple. I suppose I've seen it in documentaries, yes. Yeah. Uh, but also, uh, whales simply have more blood relative to their body size than, than terrestrial mammals generally do. And they have more, um, more myoglobin in their muscles to, to store oxygen, as well as other adaptations that just have to do with how the body of the whale uses oxygen once it is submerged. So it uh, has adaptations that can say, uh, turn off delivery of oxygen to certain body systems that are not necessarily being used at the moment while the whale is deeply submerged. So if it's, you know, a deep underwater hunting and it's not going to come up for a while, it might uh, sort of reduce oxygen usage of its digestive system or something like that. Now, we've discussed how the ancestors of whales had frontal nostrils at the ends of their snouts before on the show and how the, um, uh, the the nostrils travel up to the top of the head over the course of their evolution, uh, you know, becoming the, the blowhole. Uh, we can see evidence of this journey in fossil remains, and we can also see this movement in their fetal development. We can watch watch the the, the blowhole move up uh, the the face and head, and uh, I believe we mostly discussed the uh, the energy efficiency uh, of a snout breather having to bring the whole head up as opposed to the top of the head. And Hammond et al. also point out that this positioning definitely shades down the breathing time over the course of evolution. So all they have to do, they don't have to bring the snout up uh, to breathe. All they have to do is just get the uh, the blowhole itself above the surface of the water. 
And like we've been saying, in so many changes, I mean, the, 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 the whale is a creature that has just been completely transformed by its journey into and its mastery of the ocean over the course of its evolution. And you can, there's so many examples of this, but one that, that came up is this, that they have no facial sinuses, uh, presumably to avoid complications uh, with diving. Anyone out there, if you're a diver and you you may know some of the complications that can occur if you're, say, clogged, your sinuses are clogged up or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if you're flying, you can sometimes encounter uh, problems with this. And so this is, a, this is just one problem that the, the whale has eliminated through its evolution. Now, um, coming back to the, the visible spout of the whale, the blow of the whale, uh, as one would see from a distance, the she blows. Um, it's, uh, it's worth noting that it's, uh, this is something that Mark Carradine uh, discusses in the Handbook of Whales, Dolphins, and Porpoises. Um, the blow or the spout of a whale is very distinctive with larger whales, and it can be categorized by height, shape, and visibility. And uh, that's not to say it's easy to do. There's an art to it. An experienced whale watcher has to take into account various factors such as wind, rain, air temperature, light quality, uh, which can all of these can you know distort the shape of the spout or the degree to which the spout is visible, mm-hmm. and uh, also you have to take into account that the first spout after a long dive tends to be far stronger. Which I think we can we can sort of relate to that. I mean that's kind of our experience of breathing after holding one's breath for a period of time. Also, individual whale size is going to uh, play a role in all of this, and also behavior of an individual uh, whale will also be a factor. Still, if you know what you're doing, you can you can make out the species of a great whale, especially uh, at a distance. Uh, to give a few basic ex- examples of note here, uh, and Joe, I sent you some uh, a snapshot of some of the um, illustrations from Carwoodian's book uh, to look at in your email there. But um, the gray whale, which we discussed in previous episodes, it's known is known for its heart shaped plume, up to five meters. The sperm whale is also known for its uh, spout. It has a single blowhole spout off to the side, up to six meters. The blue whale spout is a single vertical plume of up to 12 meters. The, the, the North Atlantic right whale is, is interesting. Like other right whales, it has two spouts, one off to either side, up to seven meters. And then with the orca, uh, which of course we discussed uh, at length in our gray whale series, up to five meters, bushy at the top and projected slightly forward. Yeah, these illustrations are lovely and they do almost kind of look like uh, silhouettes of different tree species that you would identify like that. You know, mm-hmm. oh, that's the maple and that's the spruce. Right, right. So any any book you have, uh, partic- and, and, and in particular, the Handbook of Whales, Dolphins, and Porpoises, yeah, it has, uh, has pages uh, of these where you can compare them, but then also each species profiled in the book, uh, there is a, they have this image of what its spout would basically look like. Again, you'd have to take into account some of these factors, though. All right, well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and close out this episode, we'll, but we'll be back for a part two on all of this. I believe this will be a two-parter. Uh, So come back on Thursday. We have more to discuss uh, more on this whole idea that the uh, uh, that Herman Melville is talking about, that uh, a whale spout is going to uh, burn your skin off, uh, poison you and blind you. We'll see uh, what uh, some uh, contemporary uh, critics were saying about all of that. And we'll get into some other areas surrounding whale spout. In the meantime, if you would like to check out other episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind, including checking out that uh, multi-part uh, series we did on the gray whale, 
uh, and its travels, uh, its um, relationship with the with the orcas. Uh, you can find that in the Stuff to Blow Your Mind podcast feed. Core episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. On Mondays we do a listener mail. On Wednesdays we do a short form artifact or monster fact. And on Fridays we set aside most serious concerns to just talk about a weird film on Weird House Cinema. Huge thanks to our audio producer JJ Pausway. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other, to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon, just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.